Have you ever left that water bottle in your car on a hot day and you were thirsty and you got back in your car, looked at the water bottle, it looked inviting until you felt it and opened it, lukewarm water. Oh, it's no good. Well, today on Walk in Truth, we're going to hear about a lukewarm church that Jesus wants to just spit out of his mouth. Man, it's a powerful image. We're going to learn how to avoid being lukewarm today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part one of Laodicea, the Lukewarm Church. I wonder, honestly, before the Lord, where you would place yourself tonight, and I wonder how you judge that. Some of you may be quick to say, well, I judge that by my Bible reading, or I judge it by my prayer life, or I judge it by my times of worship, or my church attendance. Some of us like to judge where we're at by how often we're witnessing to people, whether we have a consistent prayer uh, in us that wants to reach out to other people. Laodicea is the lukewarm church, and um, it is the seventh, as I mentioned, and final church. Just a little bit of geography as we look at the lukewarm church tonight. I don't think that one's working. Let's try the next one. So um, as we've looked at the seven churches, the uh, Laodicean church down on the bottom of the screen was part of a triad of cities in the Lycus Valley. We've studied a little bit of this geography when we went through the book of Colossians. So the triad of cities down there at the bottom of the map are Heropolis, Colossae, and then Laodicea. Now, when we studied the book of Colossians, we looked at the the Colossian heresy, and we looked at some of the geography of this area. And in Colossae, uh, waters would flow down from a mountain called Mount Cadmus, and it would flow. And, and, you know, if you've ever looked at a cold, rushing stream with pure, moving, cold water running down from uh, a snow-covered mountain, you've got the picture of uh, the Colossian kind of water system. Up in the north, northern part of Laodicea, just, you know, these cities are within about 10 miles of each other, is a place called Heropolis. Heropolis was known for its hot springs. If you've ever been to a place where there's a natural hot spring, you kind of have the feel of what that's about. They say that the hottest that these springs would get is 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you would have these hot springs. One of the interesting things about the city of Laodicea, among other things, is that it was at a critical juncture in terms of its geography for a trade route and that kind of thing, but it had to pipe in its water. This was one of the down parts of, the, of this location, and this is something that they have found that had some of these channels for water. Here's a close-up view of what a Laodicean uh, water piping system would look like, uh, kind of an aqueduct idea where you wouldn't have an immediate water in your general vicinity, so water had to be pumped in from another local. Uh, There's a little bit of a debate among scholars as to which city was feeding the water supply of Laodicea. Some people believe that the Laodicean water system was coming from the hot springs of Heropolis. There's a little debate about that right now. Some people argue that Colossae to the south was supplying the water that came into Laodicea. Either way, 
when the water got there, um, there was a couple things that would happen to it. It would lose its temperature, whether it was from Heropolis or Colossae. It had, it had become tepid or it had become um, water that uh, uh, was lukewarm. And then the other thing that would happen in this piping system is it would pick up calcium carbonates, um, which upon drinking the water, if it picked up enough of this stuff, uh, the water would be no good. It would be cloudy. It would pick, pick up these calcium deposits. And when you drink it, when you drank the water, it would make you want to throw up. And so this, is, this was the downside in the system in, in terms of being in this, this city. And then, of course, if you had um, an army that wanted to really deal a death blow to you, they would mess with your water system. And as I understand the history of Laodicea, there were some serious um, uh, it was considered a serious crime to even be thought of that you were messing with this water system. In the ancient world, you will even see kings that are checking the water supply. We can see this in the book of Isaiah, where there's an invading army about to come, and the, and the king is taking a look at the water supply, because if they can cut off the water supply, you know, you're pretty much doomed if they can cut off your food and water. And so this is the area of Laodicea, and this is the church that we're dealing with tonight. It's called of course, the lukewarm church. Now, one of the things I'd like to say to you tonight is to ask the question, what's the solution to lukewarmness? I think we would all say, here we are on a Wednesday night, we're all, you know, this is the core of believers of this church. You guys come on out on Wednesday nights. You, you need that midweek <laughs> infiltration of the word of God, amen? We need it every single day. But I think we would all, being honest tonight, say that we have hit seasons of our life where lukewarm was probably a fair description of our walk with Jesus Christ. It's a sad description, but it's probably at some points in all of our lives been a fair description of where we are. What causes lukewarmness? What's the reason that one would become lukewarm? When I think of lukewarmness, I think of a person who lacks zeal. I think of a Christian who pretty much says whatever to the things of God. A person who, who is not really zealous for what really matters. A person who's caught up in the world and uh, just kind of puts uh, the things of Christ low in terms of their own priorities. When you look at the word for Laodicea, it's a word combination, laos, which means people, and dekao, which means to rule. So some people have said that Laodicea, a good definition, is the rule of the people, Almost like the idea of a democracy where, you know, we want to make our own decisions and then when we really need God, we'll call upon God. It seems to be a bit of the attitude of America anymore, is we know we have this biblical heritage. We know we're a country founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. And when we really need God, that's when we have prayer meetings and that's when we decide to cry out to God. And for the rest of the time, we pretty much tell God, we've got this, we're good we have need of nothing. And so to the angel of the church, Revelation 3.14, in Laodicea write, Jesus is addressing this church through the apostle John and addressing this city called Laodicea. Geographically, on a high plateau, 700, or several hundred feet high, uh, ge geographically impregnable, they would say, part of this triad of cities, as I've mentioned and shown you on the map, founded by the Seleucid dynasty and named for a person named Laodice, the wife of Antiochus, founded between about 261 and 247 B.C. 
An extremely wealthy city was Laodicea, especially during the uh, Roman period of time, which is where we find ourselves as we study Revelation. Laodicea was noted and, and, and very well known for a wealthy banking center, a lot of money. In fact, they had a pretty tragic earthquake, I think it's around AD 60, and Rome offered to help them rebuild the city. And Laodicea said, we don't need your help. We've got plenty of money. We got everything we need. Thanks, but no thanks. And they said no to the money of Rome because they didn't need it. They said, in essence, we're fine. We're good. And they lived in an affluent uh, situation. Laodicea was also known for fashion, banking, the water supply, and it was known for fashion. It was known for the black wool industry, manufacturing garments from the raven black soft wool produced by the sheep of the surrounding area. They made much soft, uh, sought after uh, clothes and carpets in Laodicea, so it was known for fashion, cutting edge style, expensive hip clothes. In fact, back in Laodicea, they had lipsters. Um, anyway, some of you will catch that in a second. It wasn't a hipster, it was a lipster. Never mind, that was a weak attempt, but anyway. There are also indications in Laodicea that there was a significant uh, work of ophthalmology going on there. It boasted a famous medical school, the nearby temple of the Phrygian god called Men Karu, uh, an important medical school associated with this false god. The school was famous for an eye salve that it had developed, which it exported all over the Greco-Roman world. So it was highly coveted. If you had eye problems, you could put this eye salve on and apparently it could help some of your problems. But as I mentioned, it was also very well known for this emetic water or this lukewarm water. They are addressed in Revelation 3.14, notice, by uh, the amen, the second part of verse 14. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. You could say, Thus says the Lord. In verse 14, there are three incredible descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them have to do with his deity. Number one, he is called the Amen or the Amen. Amen actually comes from the Hebrew, and the word Amen is uh, located, one place it's located, and this is where this comes from, is Isaiah 65. So turn over to Isaiah 65. Amen. What does Amen mean? When you say amen or amen to a preacher, you are saying, that's right. That's true. That's faithful. Amen. So if you ever hear someone preaching heresy, don't say amen. If you think something is false, don't say amen. I remember some years ago, we were playing in a softball championship game, slow pitch, a couple of Christian teams you know, from churches, and we were in a prayer circle, and there was a Yankee fan in our midst. I think he was all alone, because there were Dodger and Angel fans, and he said something, he prayed a prayer for the Yankees, and one of the people in the circle refused to say the amen. In fact, he said it out loud, I will not say the amen, release the hand of the Yankee fan. We had a church fight right there. No, I'm just kidding, we didn't. But you could say it this way, the true one says this, 
Jesus Christ is the amen. Faithful and true is his name. He always does that which is true and faithful and right and good. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael Lance would like to invite your kids to Vacation Bible School at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. This year, kids learn about the Israelites' time in Egypt. They'll explore God's goodness and celebrate a ferocious faith that powers them through this wild life. Each day at VBS, kids travel through rotations with crafts, music, and games, all for the purpose of teaching kids stories from the Bible and immersing them in new adventures. This week-long Vacation Bible School will begin July 8th, and it's only $10 per child. Register your little explorer today by visiting livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. In Isaiah 65, God is addressing his people. Verse 10, he says, And Sharon shall be a pasture land for flocks, the valley of Achor a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But you, by contrast, who forsake the Lord, Isaiah 65, 11, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny. These are false gods, kind of the idea of gambling, lucky, and that kind of thing. I will destine you for the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to this sad group, behold, My servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. My servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. My servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you shall cry out with a heavy heart. You shall wail with a broken spirit. And you will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will slay you, but my servants will be called by another name. Because he who is blessed in all the earth shall be blessed by the God of truth. Everybody take a look in verse 16. See the God of truth there? That is literally the God of amen. The God of amen. When you say the God of truth in this context, that's the God of amen. God is true. In Jesus Christ is the amen to God. So this title for Jesus is a title of deity. When you see Jesus called the amen, or the faithful witness, it's the title of deity. Notice, he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of amen, or the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, because they are hidden from my sight. Notice what happens now. For behold, God is talking, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall shall not be remembered or come to mind. A total deity passage from Isaiah 65. Go back to Revelation 3. This is where the quotation comes from. Jesus Christ is the amen. He is, Revelation 3.14, the faithful and true witness. If you want a good definition of amen, it's found in part two of Revelation 3.14. Amen means faithful and true. So the next description of Jesus is the description of deity defining amen within the verse. Everybody with me? So a good way to define amen is faithful and true. That's what Jesus is. He is faithful and true. 
We're going to see descriptions like this later on in the book of Revelation where uh, he is faithful and true. And when he returns, we'll see uh, descriptions of him like this. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. The third description in Revelation 3.14 of deity is here. He is the beginning of the creation of God, and he says this. Now, as I've mentioned, our Jehovah's Witness friends seem to isolate Revelation 3.14, especially from all the other things I just mentioned. And when they see the word beginning, they take it that Jesus has a beginning. Although we do know that uh, in the book of Revelation, even as we've seen descriptions of the Father, we know the Father is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. When the Bible uses the word beginning, it's the Greek word arche. It's A-R-C-H-E, transliterated into English. It's where we get our English word architect. In fact, a modern translation has this rendered as originator. So it doesn't have it rendered as beginning. Now, our Jehovah's Witness friends look at this and they say, this means Jesus had a beginning. But they won't say that of the Father. When the Father's called the beginning and the end, they're not going to say that he had a beginning, right? They believe the Father is eternal. But when it's applied to Jesus, they want to say when it says he, has, he is the beginning, that that means he had a beginning. But that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is actually saying that Jesus is the originator, the architect, the creator, the beginner. The word RK is probably here best rendered. He's the originator, beginner, or the creator. Interestingly enough, think with me, as we studied Colossians, we encountered what we called the Colossian heresy. We looked at uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 16 and 17, which clearly makes the case that Jesus Christ is God and the creator of all things. Think about it. Colossae was in a triad of cities with Laodicea and Heropolis. So it shouldn't surprise us that the same sorts of heresy or false teachings were happening in Laodicea as in Colossae. Everybody with me? They were trying to demote Jesus. They were trying to make him an angel or a created being or an emanation of God way down the ladder. There's the God up here, and then there's all these emanations, angels or lesser deities, and then mankind. But no, the Bible's teaching that Jesus is the beginner. He is the creator. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the one true God. So a verse that actually emphatically is defending Christ's deity gets twisted by people who sadly don't know their Bibles. Or, to put it more uh, graciously, are deceived by an organization that is famous for this kind of stuff. Just to be blunt. Because they cannot stand the fact that Jesus is God. So they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, this is a dangerous game to play. Because if you want to demote the deity of God, if you start messing with God's deity, what he says about himself, ain't good. Now, there's some people who simply just do it in ignorance because they just read certain books, passages are isolated, and and they don't get it. And if you come uh, on the next 633, I'm going to get into this more and 
I'll show you how to put easily put together an argument from the, for the Trinity from the Bible. I'm not saying you're going to understand everything about the Trinity when you leave, because you won't. <laughs> Nobody really understands everything, but you're going to have a better handle on it. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He is the Aleph Tav in Hebrew. He's the Alpha and the Omega in Greek. And this is an incredible uh, description because it means that the address is coming from God himself to the church. And what does he say next? I know your deeds. This is his assessment of this church, just like he's assessed all the churches. He says, I know your work. And then he says that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. I wish that you were either one or the other, says the NIV. Now, in years uh, past, if you listen to some pastors who I'm sure meant well in the past, they would say something like this. Uh, Jesus wishes that Christians were either hot or cold. So he wishes that you would be cold, indifferent, not even know God, than be lukewarm. <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> that's the wrong interpretation. In fact, Revelation 3.19, take, uh, take a peek ahead. It says, those whom I love, I reprove. Revelation 3.19 tells us that Jesus loves lukewarm believers. Everybody with me? Sometimes when we're lukewarm, we think, you know, God doesn't love me anymore. But God, God is not grading on performance in the sense of your salvation. He loves you. He loves lukewarm believers. He says, those whom I love, I discipline. So he loves us when we're blowing it. He doesn't want you to be cold. That's not the right interpretation. It, as defined as you're just, you know, nothing of the things of God and you're just cold to God. Cold in this context means refreshing, like the cold waters running down Mount Cadmus, uh, probably into the piping system for Laodicea. Cold means refreshing, good, thirst quenching. Everybody with me? To be cold is to be good, it's to be alive, it's to be refreshing. That's what the Lord wants. Well, when you think of the sound of refreshing, you kind of think of, ah, like after a good drink or maybe on a hot summer day, you jump into a pool and it feels refreshing. And that's the picture that's being painted here. We want to be refreshing to others. We, we want to build them up. How would you say you're doing in the refreshment area? Are you bringing refreshment to others or the opposite? How about your church family? What a great prayer it would be, Lord, make me more refreshing to others. Fill me up so much that I can refresh others with your spirit, with your power, with your life. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and the book of Revelation seems to be a book that causes to vision, at least in some of the church. Or there may be denominations that you're part of that won't even teach the book of Revelation, or maybe has a, a different view than you're hearing there. But it need not be divisive because we can look at some different angles of the book and understand the big picture that Jesus Christ is coming back again and that he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our commitment as Lord, Savior, God, and King. Now, you can get DVDs and CDs of our teaching in the book of Revelation, and we think it's definitely worthwhile for you to go deeper and maybe even pass these on to a friend who may be curious when you go to the store at walkintruth.com, you can access that teaching. It's the store tab at Walk in Truth. 
Com. Check it out today. Well, it's now officially summer, and it's been kind of nice in Southern California. We haven't had too many hot days yet, but it is summertime, and it's summer break for students and parents. And if you're looking for something to get your kids involved in, well, we have something for you, and it's Vacation Bible School at our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. This year, the theme is Life is Wild, But God is Good, and it's called Roar. And it's going to be a great week, July 8th through the 12th, of the kids going deeper with God. Life can be wild. It can be crazy. Our kids can sense that as well as they look around the world. But God is good. And that's what they're going to be taught this great week of Vacation Bible School. Now, you can get your kids signed up when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Just make sure you look for that red logo with the pillars. Download it today and get your kids signed up. So again, you can find the Living Truth app in your app store, the red logo with the pillars. Hey, speaking of Living Truth, we also have services we'd love to invite you to. They're at 9 and eleven fifteen a.m. on Sundays. We have a Wednesday night service at 7 p.m. And you can check out all the information when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app today. Now, I want to encourage you to listen tomorrow for part two of this teaching and Revelation chapter 3. We need to learn more about why Jesus calls Laodicea the lukewarm church. And how can we avoid being lukewarm? You know, lukewarm is basically good for nothing. It just sounds like a bummer. So let's be cold. Let's be on fire for the Lord. Let's be refreshing and passionate. We're going to find out more about how to do that tomorrow. And we'll catch you then. God bless you. Remember, You can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.